You're listening to Hockey to Heroin, the road to recovery on the Hockey Podcast Network. New episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Follow Hockey to Heroin on Twitter. That's at Hockey, the number two heroin for updates and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Brady Leavitt, like any other Canadian kid, his dream was to play in the National Hockey League. Success came easily to Leavitt as he began to turn heads in the Junior Leagues. Only pass for Long, he's got Leavitt with him, Long walks in, Sanders, yeah! Leavitt to right hand shot, rotates and then sends here Long, back to Leavitt, And here we go, right off the bat, a fight ensues, and it's Leovold and Kerr, and they're both getting in shots. Now Leovold throwing right after right and just connecting like crazy. Once I met heroin, I mean, it was just, that became my new passion. What's the reason that young people who are athletes get addicted to heroin? They injure themselves, and they're more likely to be prescribed an opioid. And once addicted, many are going to switch over to heroin because it's much more cost-effective. And the effects that they produce in the brain are indistinguishable. When we talk about painkillers, we're essentially talking about heroin pills. Welcome back to another edition of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. Guys, this is episode number 27. I cannot even believe I'm at episode 27. First off, yes, broken record, guys. I just want to say thank you so much uh, for all the continued support. Uh, I truly, truly appreciate it. If you guys uh, are enjoying the podcast, um, I would I would appreciate it if you hop over uh, to HockeyToHeroin.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage, guys. There's a new section. Um, it, uh, it's there for you guys to leave voice comments. Uh, I'd like to play them back on the podcast, whether, uh, you have some words of inspiration. Maybe there's somebody you want to hear on the podcast. Um, maybe there's something you think I can improve on. Um, it doesn't matter guys. I want to hear it. I love the comments and stuff on social media, but, uh, you know, getting to hear people's voices, uh, it's a little more personal and be a nice new segment for the podcast. So somebody take a risk. Get on there. I want to start a new segment. If not, we'll take it down. Um, of course, guys, uh, this episode is available on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, guys, the Hockey Podcast Network has something like 40 different podcasts, one for every single NHL team. Doesn't matter what team you cheer for, we have a podcast for you. Um, also, there's bonus um, podcasts such as Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, also, guys, Tales with TR. That's tail, uh, Terry Ryan's podcast. I talk about it all the time. Uh, he just recently had Shane Corson on. Uh, very powerful episode. Uh, check that one out. Guys, there's also uh, a podcast called House of Hockey. That's a lifestyle podcast with a female's perspective. If you're a female and you want to get a, a female's perspective on hockey, t- tune into that one. That's House of Hockey. Um, another one is the Fourth Line Voice. Uh, this is an enforcer-based podcast. They have some amazing interviews from uh, grinders and fighters that played in the minors in the NHL. Um, great listen. Uh, check that out. You can find them anywhere on social media at HockeyPodNet or the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Uh, usually, 
I would be recording in the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio. However, it's under construction. Uh, Matt Thompson was up here a couple weeks ago um, and we actually hung out more than we were building, although we did get um, the majority of the building done. He's coming back up in a couple weeks. I still talk to him uh, usually at least twice a day and uh, he's excited to come back down and finish building and, and I'm just as excited to uh, get it done. And uh, right now I'm sitting in the kids room and uh, surrounded by the, the princess and frozen stuff but hey guess what we're gonna do it anyways and uh, I'm just really looking forward to getting into the studio if you've been following along uh, Matthew Lashinsky as a former OHL uh, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound uh, he was drafted in the second round by them uh, in the early 2000s uh, he lost his battle with addiction in 2017 uh, to a fatal overdose uh, I, he wasn't a friend of mine actually only because I never met him uh, I didn't even know about his story um, as is often the case, there's, uh, unfortunately, there's been quite a few of them um, that have lost their battle and uh, this is just one more tragic one. And when Matt Thompson, when I met him, he told me the story. Uh, I say this every podcast, I'm going to keep saying it because I, people need to hear this. And if you're tuning in for the first time, I, I want you guys to hear this. So if you guys have listened and continue to listen, I appreciate your patience and listening, but I hope you can appreciate the sense of na nature of this and how important this is to me and important to the whole message. So I will continue to to say it and if you don't like it just turn off the podcast now because honestly I don't even want you to listen that's how strongly I feel about this um, so Matthew Lashinsky lost his battle with addiction and realistically guys there's no reason there is no reason why he is gone and I am not um, his story is so much like mine uh, we featured him in an episode which was episode 24 which was just incredible because it worked out that was his number uh, we had Matt Thompson on and a couple other former players from the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and you know Matt uh, Matthew Lashinsky ended up going to jail just like myself and you know totally out of character it's just that's the power of addiction and ultimately it took his life guys and when I heard this story it just it really shook me and I was just like there's no reason why this this young man's gone and I'm not uh, we should have been he should have been the same age and um, you know since then I've, I've you know met his family and they've donated to the studio and uh, I've had a plaque made from Chad Balcom down in Oregon I want to say thanks again to him it looks incredible wait until you guys see this when it's all done it's just beautiful and uh, it's really coming together so you know since then I've actually found out that more guys have lost their life hockey players including Mitch Fadden which was a former line mate of mine. Actually, him and I uh, line, line mates uh, with Steve Stamkos in the Tampa Bay Lightning's uh, Prospects Tournament. And he's gone and from an overdose. And, you know, it's just, it's just really sad. So that's why we're creating the Puck Support Foundation. And, uh, you know, one of the main reasons is just because I feel there's not a lot of support for hockey players when they're done playing hockey, but also while they're playing hockey. Like, you know, and... We always tend to focus on the NHL and because that's what we see and that's everybody's goal is to make it to the NHL. Um, typically, uh, the NHL has more support or you want to believe that they should have more support um, than the minor pro and junior guys and that's just because it's a bigger business with, with money and actually since I've been thinking about this more and talking about this more and talking to more guys that have played in the NHL, um, it's actually kind of shook me to... It, hear a lot of them say that the substance abuse program is actually horseshit. 
um, and more of just a wishy-washy to cover it up and say that they have one type thing. Um, and again, I'm not going to say who said that or whatever, um, but this is coming from a, a former NHL player that has gone through the program himself. Now, maybe it's changed since then, who knows? Um, and this is not somebody that's been on the podcast, I swear to God. So don't even think, try to guess or think it was somebody that's been on the podcast because it's not. And, I, and that's the honest to God truth. Um, but, you know, the Puck Support Foundation, guys, is really for any, you know, hockey player, boy, girl, woman, man. Uh, if you strapped on the skates, guys, uh, guess what? Uh, you're in the hockey family. And, um, uh, you know, I believe that there's so many things in, out there in the world that need help, uh, that need our attention, that need funding, that need um, science and research and all of this. And, and trust me, um, there are bigger things out there than the hockey world, um, you know, in my opinion starving kids in Africa and not having clean water. There is no excuse for that in 2020 when I'm sitting in jail and people are throwing away tons and tons of food. It's disgusting to think that people are still dying of starvation. But again, I don't, I can't tackle that problem on myself. And again, I want to go over to some of these places and, and volunteer my time at a later date. But what I do know is hockey and, and addiction and my experiences with uh, going through sexual abuse at a young age and not being able to deal with it or not feeling comfortable to deal with it and feeling ashamed and, and just feeling like, you know, alone with it. And then, you know, so supplementing that with addiction and, you know, self-destructive uh, behaviors that come with that, um, you know, being able to have a, an outside group that wasn't affiliated with my junior team or pro team, I think could have been very beneficial to me. And now I don't think everybody's gonna be comfortable and reach out, but that is the mission that we are trying to accomplish is like, how are we gonna get through to as many boys and girls, men and women that are playing hockey as possible to make them feel that we really truly care about them because we do and have their best interest in heart and that it will be confidential um, and that it won't affect their hockey careers on that their team you know what I mean because sometimes going to talk to a coach or or whatever you might think it'll affect your playing time or how they view you well guess what we don't have nothing to do with your team we just were interested in you and your well-being and your mental health and how are you t doing today and what can we do for you today so that is really uh, what we're focusing on guys and, and I, I said it before uh, there's lots to it and again we're going to talk about I'm going to have Mike hanging on again soon and we're going to do an episode about you know what's going on so I'll save that for that um, but uh, unfortunately I've got the Rodecaster Pro which is an unbelievable podcasting interface but I don't have the proper microphone so I've now done two, two this will be my second podcast with this brand new thousand dollar machine that I'm staring at and I can't use but hopefully, um, Taylor's brother says he's gonna, he's got one for me apparently. So hopefully I can get my hands on that tomorrow. Um, and my next one, um, it's just incredible. It's really gonna take my podcast to the next level. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, that is it for the intro guys. Other than that, of course, this episode, episode 27, as always, is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life Team Issue does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger, a community for all striving towards the same goal. Guys, go to teamissue.ca, check out their clothing. I'm not kidding, it is sick, super sick. And on top of that, it is a former teammate of mine 
uh, WHL alumni, Jesse Paradise, who's also on the board of the Puck Support Foundation. Uh, I remember him as a 16-year-old kid when I was 20, um, and now he's doing amazing things. He's a financial analyst. He's writing a CPA in September to be a chartered professional accountant. Uh, and he's also running this incredible clothing company. And if you go there, guys, check out, they have some incredible snapback hats, sweatsuits, sweatshirts. They do custom gear. Uh, they do unbelievable things. Face masks, if you guys are into the face mask things because of COVID-19, which I'm not, but all the power to you. On a side note, I will say, if I see one more person driving with a mask on in your own car by yourself, I don't know what you're hiding from, but please take your masks off while you're in the car by yourself, uh, unless you're really that worried. I'm not sure. But again, uh, I just think that's funny. I've seen like, I'm not kidding. I must have seen 25 people do that by now. And it just cracks me up every single time. But I guess whatever makes you feel safe. Um, but yeah, guys, check it out. Their clothing is sick. Uh, teamissue.ca. Use promo code TODRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Um, other than that, let's get into episode 27. Uh, this guy was supposed to be on episode 26, but because of my chaotic lifestyle sometimes with the kids um, and not having access to the Matthew Lashinsky Memorial Studio, uh, there's a Yappy Chihuahua, we have a puppy, Taylor's also rescued a, a, a bird that's cheapened in our bedroom, that's why I'm in the kids' room. Uh, it can sometimes be a little bit of a nuthouse. Uh, on top of that, Taylor's pregnant and, you know, I feel so bad for her because she's so sick all the time. So it just unfortunately didn't work out the other day, but it opened the door uh, for me to talk to Spencer Meyer, which was incredible. Um, and you know, I, I can't wait to talk to this guy off the air actually about my experience talking to Spencer a little bit and just, you know, uh, cause I've been talking to all hockey players just about uh, the struggles and stuff. It, it has been, it's been eye opening. To, see, to say the least. I actually just got a text from Taylor just asking me if I fed the bird, which I did not. I totally forgot, so I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> but anyways, let's get into the episode. Uh, this guy, uh, he's born in California. He played for the LA Junior Kings, which I didn't play against them, but I got to play against the Junior Kings. Actually, they came up uh, and I got to play against them when I was in Bantam. Uh, but actually, there's been some incredible players that have come out of the California area, and you don't think of it uh, more so now. Um, but he's, you know, a little bit on the older side now. He's a year younger than me, so he's one of the first kind of generations out of uh, the California area. Uh, shout out to the Riverside Jets, uh, the Sport A team from 98 to 2000, uh, and in Pee Wee AA with the Ontario Senators in 2000, 2001. 2001, 2002, he was a member of both the Ducks and Kings Pee Wee Junior teams. Uh, he competed with the Junior Ducks actually in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, which is a great experience. I didn't get to play in it, I always wanted to, but uh, the Permby Winter Club Bruins were always the team that represented it. The Lower Mainland, we never had a shot at beating them. We tied them once in, I think, 10 years of minor hockey. Uh, but uh, that's a, what a cool experience for that. This guy also played two seasons with the San Diego Gulls, Bantam AA, Midget AAA teams, um, before breaking into junior where he was drafted by the Lincoln Stars in 2007 in the USHL entry draft. Uh, 73rd overall 
by the Lincoln Stars. Um, he had a tremendous junior career. 2008-2009 uh, USHL All-Star Game, USHL. USHL second all-star team. Uh, he earned himself a full-ride scholarship. He's not a major junior guy. He went and he played uh, Northeastern. He actually played with a couple uh, guys I grew up with. Shoutouts to Wade McLeod and Tyler McNeely. Um, this guy, you know, broke into the American Hockey League, uh, played in the East Coast League, the American League, uh, and has spent the last number of years overseas uh, pursuing his hockey career over there. Um, he, he won the best player in Italy's second league, uh, along with the championship there uh, in 2014-15. He had the most goals by a defenseman in that league, most points. Uh, he went and played the Czech, they won the bronze medal. Uh, most recently, he's been playing in Finland, I believe, um, and he's been making headlines. Um, for some, uh, I don't even know how to uh, best describe it because um, you're seeing a lot more of it nowadays and it just makes my fucking stomach turn and I'm trying to not swear on the podcast as much. I know it's not for kids, but it makes my stomach turn. Um, he's making headlines uh, for being brave and coming out and speaking out about some of the sexual abuse he suffered as a child, uh, which is not easy um but he's been brave enough uh to share his story um with basically the only motivation to get it out there to help people and uh, since reading the article in the hockey news and the writer uh matt larkin was able to uh connect us which was great so thank you to him uh but yeah just just incredible so without further ado he's living in cleveland ohio home of the rock and roll hall of fame and the Lake Erie Monsters, one of my favorite rappers, MGK, Machine Gun Kelly. Without further ado, Jake Newton, thanks, man. Thanks for doing this. Hey, man, absolutely. No uh, no issues whatsoever. Thank you for, for having me on. And after listening to that, I'm just like, holy shit, maybe I need to uh, up my intro game on my own podcast. Uh, but anyhow, no, man, just so grateful for this opportunity. And yeah, just very excited to get into it here. No, that's funny because it's usually the same comment I get I get from a lot of my guests and I, I have a little intro spiel that I like to update my listeners with what's going on in my personal life. But then I also like um, to include any highlights I can I can find on my guests, whether it's, you know, and I like to give a shout out to their minor hockey associations if I can uh, always. Uh, because that's where it all starts, right? That's where the right. dream starts. And, and so many guys, um, w men and women, volunteers, uh, help us along the way, right, Jake? Like, we don't think mm -hmm. about it, but the timekeepers, you know, the, the yep. parents that are sitting in there freezing their ass off doing the timekeeping and mm -hmm. doing the 50-50 and all the shit we don't realize as kids. So, you know, I always like to, to give a shout out to all the minor associations. But as far as the intro goes, um, you know, a lot of the guys that have been on the podcast have, you know, great hockey careers and, and, you know, you didn't win a Stanley cup, like some of my guests, but that doesn't mean that you haven't had a tremendously successful career. And, right. uh, on top and on top of that, Jake, uh, you know, you battled through a lot of personal shit and, uh, that's not easy. And I want to get into that later, but uh, back to the intro is I like to set the tone, um, because, you know, sometimes I have guys on the podcast and they haven't played for a number of years or, or they sometimes feel like they're not as involved in the hockey career, their 
careers and they kind of feel like they're lost. Um, right. And, and hearing, hearing these accolades or things they've accomplished can kind of build them up a little bit mm. and, and get mm. them excited. And, and I think it's important. And, um, you know, because sometimes after we're done playing or even in the off season, some of these negative feelings can sink in. So I want to get um, into it with you and I want to turn it over to you because I know you have such a positive message. Uh, you have your own podcast. I didn't me- mention that in the intro because uh, there was just lots there, but we could talk about that. Uh, I just want to dive right in first before anything. Uh, walk us through the experience of growing up in California and, and your, you know, your transition from what playing, what's it like playing minor hockey? I guess you don't have anything to, to compare it to, but you must have been able to see uh, what it's like in Canada or, and, and all the different things coming to tournaments. What was it like growing up in California with the different travels and must've been expensive for your parents and where you, was it traveling all over for different rinks and what was it like Jake? Yeah. So, so honestly, man, you know, uh, actually I started out in roller hockey uh, and I didn't make the trip. Yeah, exactly. It's so, so Californian, right? Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I didn't make the transition to ice uh, until I was 11. Um, and my first year, I was in-house. It was just playing rec league, I guess you could say. You know, D- District 5, like the Mighty Ducks, right? And, um, and then I started breaking into, yeah, playing squirts and, you know, always, you know, playing at a higher level. My first year was just squirt A, you know, and then it was PBAA, PBAAA, you know, and then I got that incredible, unique opportunity to, uh, to go and play in that Quebec uh, carnival, the peewee carnival. And wow, that was just incredible. But we always had this reputation in all the tournaments that we would go to, whether it was Michigan or Minnesota or Massachusetts or Canada, uh, being the surfer boys. And <laughs> the thing is, is, you know, playing for the junior Kings and the San Diego goals. Yeah. The guys that played on the team were, but I grew up in the desert. I grew up a hundred miles from Los Angeles and it took us three hours to get there. I grew up you know, 80 miles from San Diego. And it took us, you know, two, two and a half hours to get there. So I'm a, I was, you know, not born there, but raised in the desert. Um, so yeah, you know, again, always having that reputation, but I was hardly ever at a beach. I'm very into the frozen water, you know? Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was, it was a, just an incredible amount of sacrifice uh, from everyone in my family because we were all playing at one point, all playing on separate teams. And so, you know, I didn't grow up with money. We grew up living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, again, my parents having to sacrifice so much of their own personal lives to, you know, get us from one rink to the next. Um, and again, we're all playing on separate teams. And there's five of us, five kids. Um, and that's wow. just insane, you know. And like I said, on um, the years that I played for the Junior Kings, it was 100 miles. And I'm sure you've heard of the traffic in California. In most days, it took us three, three and a half hours. And so I'm spending seven hours um, a day on the road uh, just to get to practice. And that's, you know, four times a week. And then we've got games. And it was just a lot of, like I said, a lot of sacrifice. And actually, the only way for myself to play at the highest levels that I did, um, it was only because my mom worked for United Airlines at the time. Um, and so we were able to fly for free. The team liked to fly together, but I just let them know that's not an option for me. I have to fly United because I fly for free. And, um, you know, I remember my 18 AAA year with the Junior Kings, um, you know, getting scholarships so that I could play on the team so that I could, you know, get whatever everybody else was getting, you know, because we just flat out couldn't afford it, you know. Um, so, you know, like you said, man, there's so many different people that are sacrificing for us as kids that we have no idea about. But here we are now you know, with a different perspective on life and we can look back and be like, damn, wow, there was a lot more going on behind the scenes than I 
perceived at the time, you know? So, so yeah, overall it was, it was obviously crazy. We, we, you know, we did a lot of travel, a lot, a lot of travel, especially that 18 triple a year. I think that year, my senior year of high school, I had like 150, um, unexcused absences because we were just, we were gone, uh, two, two weeks out of every month trying to go to the top tournaments, you know, and we wound up taking third place at nationals that year. Uh, they were in Rochester, New York. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, I think that's pretty much sums up my, my minor hockey, uh, career and some of the teams that you gave shout outs to, which I appreciate they aren't even around anymore. <laughs> um, outside of the goals, the ducks and the Kings, all the other ones have moved on to, to junior reign and, uh, things like that. So, so yeah, man, there you have it. That's uh, it's pretty wild. So it's, you know, it's a totally different experience from mine where, you know, I grew up literally a, a minute from my hometown rink and mm. I, I used to roller, I used to rollerblade there just to watch, you know, other games and just hang out at the rink and, yeah. and all that. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. We traveled a lot too. And my dad sacrificed a lot and he was a single dad and my mom, I saw on weekends and stuff, but again, living paycheck to paycheck. If it wasn't for my grandparents, I don't think we would have been able to afford it either. And, um, as a kid, you just, it's not our fault that we didn't appreciate, didn't see it. We just, you know, you can't fully appreciate things until you're older. And, um, it's just incredible. It's just, it made me laugh to, to sit there and listen. Cause I was actually just talking to Colin Long, uh, who was my former lineman. He played for the California wave and he grew oh, up no. in Santa Ana and, and yeah, and he, you know, he had the long, he is the surfer dude with the long hair and, and everything. I was literally just talking to him on Instagram, like uh, five minutes before we were talking. So I'm sitting here laughing. Um, but you know, where were you drafted from the USHL and were you ever, you know, looking to go play major junior at all? Like were you, were those your aspirations or did you know it existed or what was that experience like? Yeah, man. So, so honestly, you know, growing up playing, you know, the peewees, it wasn't until the peewee division where I started finding out about the California wave or the Westminster wave at that time. And they were the talk of the town. They were the talk of, you know, youth hockey actually around the world. Um, their 88 team, their 89 birth year team, just incredible, incredible teams. Um, some guys that I think are still playing. Um, but um, yeah, you know, so my 15, I was 15 years old when I first moved away. Um, first moved away to play juniors. Um, can, wait, can you, can you ask that question again? I, for some reason, just lost where I was going. Just with the experience of, you know, making oh, yeah. a transition to, to junior, whether it was the major junior or USHL, did you know about the Western league yeah. or any of that? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Anyhow. So 15 years old, I moved away to play, um, in the Northern Pacific junior hockey league, which I highly doubt is around anymore. I'm not sure. Um, in a town called Beaverton, Oregon, which is just outside Portland. Um, You're so joking me. You're joking me. No, no. Are you serious right now? Do you 100%. know something? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Okay, so there's a guy that I've become very close with since I started doing the podcast, and he does a lot of my – he's done the the intro. He's done the, the puck support mission statement voice. He's yeah. the guy with the voice. Um He's done. He put together the the video for my intro for my podcast. He's, his name's Steve Buckley. That is where he's from. He oh, wow. in Oregon. So anyways, wow. shout out to Steve Buckley. I was just talking to him too. So there you go. There you have it, Steve. Uh, your little town there in Beaverton. Shout out to them. Continue yeah. on, Jake. I 
give a shout out to, to Steve Buck because yeah, he, no, he's, no, he's, so, he's done so much he's done so much for me and for the puck support and for my podcast. So thank you. And it just made me laugh. See how the world works. So keep yeah. going, Jake. Unreal. So real quick, the team name was the River City Jaguars. It was their first year in the league. And I actually got uh, you know, picked up by them from going to a showcase in Langley, BC at the age of 14, went up there uh, and wound up, you know, getting- Was it the global showcase? No, it was not globals. I never did global. I, this was a, frick, I forget the name of it. Um, can't remember. I did it back-to-back summers. Incredible. We drove okay. from California up there. Um, but anyhow, um, so the reason why I was bringing that up is because, again, through the wave, I saw a lot of guys. I saw Colin Long, um, Colin Redden, uh, Jack Combs, different names getting drafted into the WHL, but I was never a wave player. But anyhow, so I'm now I'm in Beaverton playing. Um, and one of the uh, youth hockey coaches there was an assistant coach or a scout for the Portland Winterhawks. Um, came and watched a lot of our games, liked me as a player. Again, I'm only 15 years old um, and decided that, you know what, they might want to put me on their protected list. Um, and so anyhow, I, they, they bring me in for a game. I watched the game with them. We're talking. But one thing that I did is I brought up college and I think that turned them off and they don't want to be messing, I think, uh, around with kids that have their sights set on college. Um, so I, I had always wanted to go to college until I got to college. Um, <laughs> so, any, you know, so anyhow, I, I finished out that year of juniors, went back home for my senior year and then left again and then was drafted to the Lincoln Stars from the Texas Tornado in the North American Hockey League. Um, and there's just... Yeah, a very, you know, historical club that's not around anymore, but they won a lot of national championships. Um, I believe at a time when the North American League and the USHL were playing, the two champions would play um, to try to, you know, I guess say who's the cream of the crop in terms of junior A in America. Um, but anyhow, yeah, a lot of crazy, crazy experiences that season and a lot of very crazy experiences overall in my junior hockey career. So you went, you went from Beaverton to the NAHL, and then from there you were drafted to the Lincoln Stars. And back then, were the two teams playing uh, in the different leagues to, to crown a champion, or was that – did you miss that? Yeah, I missed. So I missed that. That, that might have been two okay, so, okay, so my question for you is you played in both leagues, and I know that the U.S. Uh, development team used to play in the NHL NHA, or wherever it is, or if they play in the USHL yeah. now – um, they do. They play in the SHL now. Correct. I, I don't really like that for one. But anyways, uh, <laughs> for <laughs> for various reasons, for various reasons, and maybe it's good, but it just you know I, I I just don't agree with it. But that's my that's my own opinion on it. Um, what was the caliber? of the two leagues like when you played obviously it's changed because the ushl always spikes my interest because i've never seen a ushl game um i've never even seen maybe a couple highlights you know what i mean so i don't know and over the course um you know the last 10 years i've you know read things online and, and done you know just what i do i just google everything i'm just always taking in stupid little things and uh you know reading little articles and I'm always curious. So, Oh, what's the best junior hockey league in the world these days? And I look at the rankings and, and the USHL and, and actually the NHL have both slowly crept up Mm -hmm. and they're getting better and better. And arguably they say the USHL is the best junior hockey league in the world. Now, I don't know if that's true or you have to, you'd have to ask, but uh, back, back when you were playing, 
Um, how comparable? So when you went from Texas to Lincoln, what was the the difference in in you know the level of hockey? Yeah, you know, honestly, back then it wasn't so significant. Um, of course, you noticed it. I'd just say that, you know the 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 depth, the third, fourth liners um, were a little bit more skilled. Um, we're still able to play that role. Um, but you know, honestly, I was going to stay in Texas because I loved it there so much. I loved the town. I loved the arena, the, the players, the coaching staff. Um, and it actually wasn't until I went and helped out, um, at a camp for the Kings, their development camp, me, uh, might've been Colin Long, Mitch Wall, Shane Harper. Um, all I know, these, I know all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were all there helping out, like not just pushing pucks. Like we had our equipment on, we were there kind of like test dummies, so to speak. And it wasn't until the coaches started to like who I was as a player came up and they, or they did some research on me and found out that I was drafted by Lincoln and strongly, strongly suggested that I go to Lincoln. Um, so I went to Lincoln's camp and did really well. Um, one of the top defensemen at the camp and I still wasn't sold um, until the coach, Jimmy McGrady, um, shout out to Jimmy McGrady. Love that man. Um, did uh you know it started just being persistent calling me calling my parents calling my brothers and my brothers had a big influence on me back then um they were my my skating coaches my my trainers and uh you know i just finally gave in and i'm so damn happy that i did that because the ushl is for sure the top you know junior a tier one league um in the world um and then i remember my first year they actually went up and played um some ohl or quebec teams Quebec major junior league teams and one in the Indiana ice went up. I can't remember exactly who they played that year, uh, 2008, 2009, but they had John Carlson on their team. Um, so you can imagine what type of team that was, you know, obviously he's about to win the Norris trophy or maybe already did. I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, so, so yeah. There, was a, there is a difference in the league and I, it's even more so now the North American league, of course, it's still reputable, but there are so many teams spread out across the whole entire country. Um, and I just feel like through that, the talent has gone down. Yeah, of course. You you know, with the more leagues, um, the the talent obviously drops. And I've been talking about starting like a, a you know, a 10-team junior league that's like all of Canada and the States. Could you imagine having a super league of all the best oh. players with just 10, 10 leagues or 10 teams or 12 teams or whatever it is, or just tw- even 20 teams, just yeah. 20 teams of all the best junior players. No WHL, no OHL, no Quebec League, just one little mini NHL. If you're going to do it, let's just do it right. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know, but again, it's a, it's a big business and you're never going to tackle that on it. I don't even care to, all I care (laughs) is to honestly, do you want to know what I care about Jake is I care about making sure that the kids that are going to go through whatever junior program it is, whatever league, whatever the, whatever path they decide to take, I want them to know, um, and have all the facts in front mm-hmm. of them before they make the decision to either go major junior or go NCAA um, and also have, you know, resources available to people that have made those, both those decisions and whether, you know, they think there was a good decision for them or a bad decision for them, it doesn't matter, but at least they have people to talk to. And then on top of that, um, have people to talk to while they're going through it. And that's what I really care about. So like the mm-hmm. puck support foundation or the puck support group is what we may change it to while we're, cause we're not a foundation yet. And, and that's fine, but we can still, while that's happening, we can still help people. And that to me is, you know, so I don't care about the best junior hockey league or whatever. What I care about is giving the, the best care for the players um, mentally, um, you know, of course, physically, because 
the teams do a great job at that already with the equipment that they provide and the training and all that. And that is well-funded, but where does the funding for the mental health is my question. Mm-hmm. And um, that is something that I want to put pressure on, on, you know, all the associations and, and leagues and teams to uh, start investing in, in their players, mental health a little bit more and also investing in their players for their future. So like, what are, what are you doing to check up, check, check up on a player five years after he's left your program? If you know he was having a struggle or whatever, like what, you know, can, can we stay connected with these players? Because listen, uh, if you're playing for a junior hockey team, that's a business. Somebody's making money off you playing on the ice and you're not getting paid. Yes, you're getting free equipment. You're getting to live out your dream. You might get a scholarship. Hey, you might get drafted to the NHL. But at the same time, you might not. And somebody's making money off you as a kid and whatever. So why can't we at least provide them with the support and stuff that they may need down the road? Well, you're making money off them as their kids and you know, they might be getting concussions or whatever. Um, they're taken away from their families. Um, they may be subjected to, you know, things like sexual abuse, who knows? I'm just, you know, there's so many different things. And, um, I don't know what your take is on that, but you know, you can, you can touch on any of the things I'm saying, but, uh, we can keep moving on. So you went, uh, you know, you played, you had a very successful time, playing with the Lincoln stars. Yeah. Um, great. Had a great year in 08, 09. Like I mentioned in the uh, intro, uh, USHL all-star game, uh, second team all-star. Um, and then the following year you made the jump uh, to NCAA uh, with the Huskies at Northeastern. Uh, you were only there for one season. So walk me through that. And how many other teams were, were calling for you? Uh, at that point, were you, how old were you when you made the jump from junior to pro? Did you play all the way to 20? Uh, walk us through that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I did play, I played, uh, you know, so I played that one year, right. You know, when I was 15 and then I moved away again when I was 17. Uh, then yeah, I played all three years of juniors that I could. Um, and then, so I was, uh, you know, an incoming freshman at the age of 20 turning 21 in September. So before the season started. And uh, yeah, man, you know, just had a really successful, you know, I actually had a first couple games weren't as great as I wanted them to be the summers. I was there for summer school and there was a lot of, you know, confusion in terms of like, if I was on the team, the coach didn't even know who I was after coming to watch me skate during the summer. He didn't know. And I was just like my, my, uh, my card to get lunch, you know, every day wasn't working. I was just like, what in the hell is going on? Like, do I need to be transferring already? I haven't even started my career here. Uh, but anyhow, wow. um, you know, so it took me a few games to kind of get into the rhythm of kind of what college hockey was. And then it kind of just took off from there. And I became, you know, the go-to guy, um, de- certainly defensively and then, and then producing points wise, you know. And um, yeah, it was it was it wasn't probably until maybe November or December where I even had an agent. I didn't I never had an agent, you know, um, and then I had I teamed up with uh, an agent with Newport Sports. Um, and you know, at that, at that time I was just like, Oh my God, my, my favorite player and still is. And even though he's retired was, um, you know, Nicholas Lidstrom and he was with them and I was just like, Oh my gosh, like I'd like to play like him. I believe we have similar styles, whatever. And so anyhow, yeah, they, they brought me on and, um, you know, it was around, I would say end of February, our season was over where I got an offer from the Capitals, um, talked a lot with Dan, uh, not Danny, uh, Steve Richmond, which I believe is still there actually wound up playing with his son. Um, but anyhow, I was going to take the offer no matter what. Cause like I said earlier, I had always wanted to go 
to college until I got to college and realized it's just too much. It's really hard to balance school and being an athlete. Um, and so anyhow, I was going to take the deal, but my agent said, you know what, we're going to try and get you a little bit more money. I said, okay, great, whatever. Uh, you know, fricking, it doesn't matter. I don't come for money. So it's, I, and I'm not playing the game for money, but anyhow. So after that, it turns out that the ducks, um, had found out that they heard about this offer and their original plan is me being from California was to bring me in during the summer, check out the facilities and whatnot. Um, and then make me an offer then. But again, they caught wind of this offer. And so they came in with an offer. Um, and it didn't matter at that point then who, who else was even interested. I believe Edmondson, Vancouver, Buffalo were also heavily interested. Um, and, but again, you know, for the opportunity to play at home in front of my family, uh, it was a no brainer for me. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, to sign a max rookie contract, three year deal. And, uh, I went right to Anaheim though. I signed, um, March 10th. It was official March 17th. Um, and so I was there for the final four or five weeks of the season. Um, and through that, obviously it, it ripped, not obviously people may not know this, but it took a year off of my contract. So instead of now a three year, it's a two year. Um, uh, but I was there making NHL money, experiencing the things that I got to, uh, but I had gotten really, really sick before going to Anaheim. I got uh, the flu and I lost like 12 pounds. Um, and so for the first week that I was in Anaheim, it was just me in there working out in the gym and I'm out before any players even showed up. Um, and then I finally got cleared to skate. And then James Wisniewski uh, leveled Brent Seabrook against the glass. Maybe you remember that 2010. He got suspended for seven games. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's a power play defenseman. I'm a power play defenseman. I'm going to get a freaking game in this year. <laughs> and that was just not the case. I was there for the experience. So, um, so yeah, it was, a, it was incredible, man. And uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, what, what an incredible experience for sure. And, man, uh, looking back on that now, I mean, obviously it's an experience. And, and I don't like to be able the one, oh, would have, could have, should have regret, but right. uh, you said you, you mentioned that you didn't enjoy school. Like, do you feel like you made the right decision? Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I literally don't have a single regret in my life. Um, but again, if I could go back, I think I probably would have just gone the major junior route. I think it would have set me up for a potentially longer career in the NHL. I believe I would have been drafted because I had a lot of interest in juniors when I was with Texas, when I was with Lincoln. I always thought I was right there to getting drafted. Um, always finished in the top 10 in scoring for defensemen and all of the other defensemen in the top 10 were drafted. I'm just like, okay, when's, when's my turn? You know, had conversations with the Rangers, with the Bruins. Um, so again, you know, I, I understand what major juniors could have done. It's the quicker route um, and a quicker route to being drafted. And I had always been told that you don't want to be drafted because then you can choose who you sign with. Well, that's only true if you are good enough to have 30 teams interested in you, correct? Or 10, um, where maybe yeah. I would have gotten there if I would have played a, another year or two more years in college. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's hard to say if I made the wrong decision because I, I still got to the NHL level. You know, it just took me a little bit longer, um, which I think I needed uh, in terms of development. Um, so again, everybody's experiences are going to be different. Their perspectives are going to be different. I loved playing at Northeastern University. I just didn't enjoy being a student, um, but it's also a very prestigious school. And I took three years off in between uh, graduating high school and then going to a school like that. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a top 50 school, I think, in, in the country. Um, and I just wasn't prepared for that, you know. And if it weren't for my mom and my oldest sister, 
Um, I don't know if I would have even been eligible to play come my sophomore season if I was there. I, I, you know, I finished my first semester with a 2.016 and you need a 2.0 to stay eligible. So I was, you know, playing with fire there. But, uh, but no, overall, like I said, I got to the NHL anyhow. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. And it's just cool to, you know, have those experiences. And, you know, the reason that we connected, uh, or the reason that I, you know, saw your story is because we were both in the inspiration issue of the hockey news. And, uh, you know, not the same story, but definitely some similarities. And you were really brave. And you came out and you um, talk about how you uh, suffered from some sexual abuse at a very young age. And, um, you know, if you don't mind, uh, I don't really care to talk too much about it in detail, but, um, you know, I was open on my podcast with, um, Sheldon Kennedy about some of the stuff that happened to me. And, um, it too happened to, to me at a young age and, um, somebody that was close to the family. So I, I can appreciate definitely how difficult, um, the situation is and, and I appreciate how brave you are. So I want to say thank you because, um, you know, it's, it's such a horrible experience and there's no real, um, I don't know if there's real, there's such a stigma around it almost where I know for me, I was so, um, I was so terrified to for anybody to find out. I, I don't. I mentioned it on podcast before because it happened with a guy, an older guy, and I was so young. And of course, I didn't really realize it. But then, as I started to get older and get into middle school and learn about sex and all this stuff, and you know how cruel people, little kids, can be with the gay talk and mm. this and that, and and so you know when these terms are started to throw around at a young age like oh you're oh you're gay or you're just boys being boys joking or whatever um you know but then I started to think in my mind it's like wow am I gay because this happened Mm -hmm. to me I'm not attracted to men but in my mind I'm a confused boy going like hey like if people find out about this like I'm I'm ruined like you know what I mean like I just was so uh, so terrified um, and I just pushed it down and pushed it down and yeah. pushed it down. So I'm just curious is to, um, you know, your experience going through it and uh, where you're at with it today. Um, and if anyone's listening that, you know, maybe, you know, going through or have gone through similar things, um, and you know, if you're, they're suppressing it, like, you know, I did and I, I believe you did too. Uh, you know, do you have any advice for them? Yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it started at the age of five, five to seven years old was, uh, the length, um, from my remembrance, from what I'm told by relatives, mom, uh, oldest sister. And, uh, yeah, no, obviously some, uh, some very, very traumatic stuff, uh, especially for the length of it, you know, to recall exactly how many times it happened. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do that. I just know the length and how old I was when the police were called and showed up to our house. Um, I will never forget that moment, me needing to talk to the policeman, but being so afraid to do so, uh, having to, you know, whisper things into my brother's ear to tell the cop, you know, that I was, you know, my brother was essentially a messenger, a middleman, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, it's uh, very unfortunate, obviously, um, you know, that it happened by a family member, by my cousin, adopted brother, uh, 
my parents decided to bring him and his brother and sister into our family after his father had passed away and mom wasn't fit to be a single mother. Um, and so, yeah, my parents thought that, yeah, let's bring him in. That's what family does. Right. Um, but what they weren't aware of is that all three of them had been sexually abused as well um, as children. And, and I would think in their teenage years as well. Um, I believe my cousin that did it to me uh, was 16, 17 year old, years old at the time, you know, and uh, you know, one of the things I talked about in, in the, the issue there in the hockey news was, uh, and, I, and I'll never forget this either, me telling him that if he didn't stop doing what he was going to do, uh, that I was going to tell my parents and that he would get in trouble, you know, and he said, well, Jake, if you do that, I'm going to beat you up. And here I am at five, six or seven years old looking up at this man that's, a, you know, almost out of his teenage years. And he looked like a monster. He looked like the tallest man in the world to me, you know, and I'll, you know, as, as I'm walking up the stairs, I can look down and I can see into the living room where he's sitting. And I've just got so much fear within me. And I was walking up the stairs with the intention to go and tell my parents. Um, but the fear that I had uh, from those words that he spoke to me kept me from ever saying anything. And it wasn't until one random day where my sister and her friend, um, older sister, that is, uh, came home early when they weren't supposed to be coming home early to lock doors. Why is everything locked? And then they figured out exactly what was taking place. And that's, you know, when the sexual abuse was taking place. And, you know, it's, it's actually the house that uh, my mom and sister still live in. Um, and I've been there many, many times since I've gone down my path of therapy, of healing, of self-healing. And I was very intentional with being in the bathroom that a lot of the things happened in. Um, and I went in there and I just wanted to meditate in that room, in that space, and put all of those images, the sights, the sounds, the taste, the smells, um, put that all in my mind, put it into my awareness um, and see what happens. Um, to see if there was any more emotional trigger left from that. Um, and man, honestly, there was nothing. So I sit here able to talk so freely about this because there is no more um, emotional trigger from it. I still have healing to do um, in terms of um, intimacy um, that I know it's all mental, but I have a lot of mental blocks in terms of uh, you know sexuality, um, being intimate with a woman. And, um, mm -hmm. so, so yeah, man, like I said, uh, I, I can think about it now. And honestly, I'm at a point in my life where I've accepted it, it completely. And I'm actually grateful for it now because it's given had you know, had that not happened, it would have been something else, but sexual abuse is, is, was, is, was my story. And now I can use my platform to help others that don't have a platform that don't have a voice that don't have somebody to speak to. And just by simply hearing or listening or reading my story could be the key that they need to unlock, uh, you know, for them to go down their own path. Um, so I think I was getting sidetracked a little bit, but okay, here I am. Yeah, I would love to see my cousin today. Um, I would love to shake his hand. I would love to give him a hug. And I would love to know how he's doing in his life from a, just a sincere place of just curiosity. Like I said, it was done to him. So I think he probably viewed it as, you know, this is what we do. This is normal behavior, you know? And so I, I, I don't look at him and I don't view him as evil. I believe he was just a person that was in deep rooted pain himself. Um, and he, he did, he was doing the best he could with based upon his previous life experiences. And, um, yeah, man. So that's, so that's where I'm at with it. And in terms of any advice that I would give for anybody, um, acceptance is going to be your first route to, to healing, um, forgiveness, 
um, forgiveness for the person that did it to you. Because again, when we are on, in pain on the inside, we're always going to want to externalize that and put that on people um, on the outside, typically those that are closest to us. Um, and then also forgiveness for yourself, um, for knowing that there's nothing that you could have done. Because again, if you could have done something, you would have done it. Um, and a lot of that, again, comes from our past experiences, that fight or flight mode, what we're born with. Um, and so, yeah, man. Um, and then also, uh, for anybody, check out a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. That was the book that changed my life. Um, even after three years of talk therapy, where I, okay, I made peace with everything, but my mind was still in control. I still had emotional triggers. Um, and now I'm, uh, I'm not free, of course, but... Um, I'm a heck of a lot closer to that, uh, which I know I'll never get to, but I'm a lot closer to it now, um, doing my own healing, my own self-healing, uh, than any talk therapist, uh, would have been able to give to myself. Well, yeah. And I mean, everybody's, uh, journey of healing is different, right? And, right. Um, I don't, I don't believe that there's one answer for, for everybody. And it's just a, a process. And I think sometimes it can be trial and error. And for myself, this podcast has been incredible. It's it's given me a, a, a therapeutic platform for myself to to come on and talk and right. And then on top of that, I get to to meet some incredible people like yourself. And then it's just run my my you know my network uh, of you know people and friends and and what we can do together is just incredible. Right. Um, so you know, I believe you know, in, in, I believe in empowering other people and you know, just sharing the, the message of, you know, unity and, uh, you know, just the fear of not being judged uh, for right. people that are listening. Like, like, I, I love what you said there, you know, like if you could have done something you would have. And, and in a lot of cases, like, so some people like you, you hear about there's, I don't know if you saw in the news with this, uh, Daniel Carcillo thing, he's, yeah. uh, made some alle allegations. And, uh, again, I, I'm not, don't care to, to touch on that too much because it's in that's up to the police to decide whether whatever is going on with that. However, um, you know, it's just this stuff does happen and you look at, so it, you look at it and if it happens in junior hockey and you think about it, it's like, okay, well, sometimes these kids are 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And some people are like, well, how come they wouldn't say anything? How could they let this happen there? Why wouldn't they fight them off? Well, when you're a junior hockey player or like whatever, and you're seeing, you know, potentially, you know, some of the coaches that have done these things or whatever, have all this influence over your career. Some of them may have been pro hockey players themselves and they can, you know, there's so many, there's psychological like warfare almost. It's just crazy. And like, you can get so lost in it. You'll do anything to make it to the NHL. And if a coach convinces you that that is what's going to help it, then you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. It, and it, But it's not crazy for, for those things to happen. What's crazy is that the people that are in these positions taking advantage of it. And um, so I just think that, you know, we're never going to be able to stop sexual abuse completely. You're never right. going to be able to stop drug addiction completely. You just can't. There's too many people with too many outside factors. But what we can do is educate people uh, and give them, you know, resources and a support network and just empower them so that if somebody does try to know, you know, you say no and you know 
that it doesn't matter what they say. If they said they're going to kill their your family or they are going to kill you or they're going to beat you up, well, guess what? Call me. You know, call you. Right. Call you know what I mean, and that is so. I'm trying to figure out with the, with these guys, and and you can help us too. Is to, how do we get to as many kids as possible um, to let them know that they're not alone in these situations, and that if these situations arise, that it's wrong, and that they can say no, and that there are people um, that you know if they're feel that they're not as big or that the person's bigger than because you know you're small but there's people out there that are bigger than that person and there's groups of people that are bigger than that person and so i'm just you know always sitting here thinking like how can we get to the most people to let us to let them know um that they don't have to go through this and that they have the support. So, and, and it starts with guys like yourself coming out and being brave. Like that's the hockey news. That is the biggest hockey newspaper in the world. That's right there for everybody to read. And right. it's, it, I commend you for it. And, and, you know, again, yeah, sure. I I've come out and said some stuff too, but um, I can appreciate that. Not everybody is as candid as I am and is as open as I am. And the, the fact of the matter is, is I was arrested in 2015 and it was like front page news of the paper in Vancouver, ex hockey pro sentenced to 21 months. Like it was on the news, everything I was on crime stoppers. Like, I'm not kidding. It was a nightmare. So I had no control over that. Like once I was in jail, like I can't control what they're going to put in the media. It's, it's, they are free to put whatever they sit in court and they write a story and that's what they did. And um, so I kind of, didn't really have a choice at that point. Like, you know, they put kind of put it all out there for me, but uh, you know, I did make the choice to come out and say, Hey, this is my story and this is what's happened and whatever. And yeah. people can respect me for that. And, and again, I, and I sometimes go, yeah, you know what? That's kind of cool that I can do that, but it's also my personality. So I can, what I'm saying is I can appreciate the fact that not everybody is like that. So, so when people come out with stuff, um, you know, like you did and you know, like Carcillo has and like so many other people have because of this tragic and shit that's happened to them. Um, it's not always the same for everybody. Not everybody carries that same confidence. Not So it can be, it can be extremely draining and um, almost overwhelming. You know, it can be overwhelming. Right. And I just, you know, my biggest thing again is like, how do we make sure that when these things come out, like if guys have to come out and say stuff um, that's happened, such as yourself, and, and then there's uh, articles about it. Well, what are, what are the support systems in place? Like, I know you're doing well and um, you have great support systems in place, but um, it's all about support systems. Like where that is what we need to build. And I just, I firmly believe that and I cannot yeah. reiterate it enough. So what, let's talk about what you're doing now, Jake. Like, um, are you, so you've been playing, you know, you went over to Italy, um, yep. made, you made the decision to go from North America to Europe, like so many guys do. And it's a kind of a hard decision to make, isn't it? Cause you're giving up on your NHL dream and essentially. Right. And, yeah, yeah. um, but it, you're going over and you're getting to see the world and make incredible money and meet some great people. And it's, yeah, it's just great. So before we get into what you're doing with now with your podcast and, and that movement that you have going on, which is incredible, by the way. Um, but, you know, let's talk about the transition to uh, from North America to Europe and um, your experience of playing over there and, 
and kind of what has happened in your life with your, your family life. I know you wanted to touch on that a little bit because I know that can be um, sometimes hard as a pro hockey player. You have to move away from your kids and, and family. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, man. Real quick before we hop into that. I wanted to just touch on, on you know, some stuff that you were saying there in terms of how do we get this, you know, more resources? How do we get more kids, you know, uh, able to see these things and hear these things and, and speak themselves? And I think, you know, for anybody listening to this that has something within them that they want to share, that they need to share, or maybe they're not even aware that they need to share. Uh, I think what's holding so many people back is because they're so fearful of what others might think of them when they do speak. And just understand, guys, that anything that anybody ever thinks about you is always just going to be a projection of how they are doing in that moment, in the relationship that they have with themselves. And I think if we can have that knowledge, uh, that it might be a little bit easier to call you, Brady, or to call myself. Um, and then once again, once you open your mouth the first time to share something, you realize that that's all it is. It's just another conversation and you become lighter and lighter and lighter every time you start sharing your story. Um, and also being very mindful of the information we're intaking. Who are we following on social media? Who is our closest uh, friends? And what do they want for their lives? How are they? Uh, what's, what type of relationship do they have with themselves? There's so many different things that could be touched on there. Um, but, but in saying that, um, you know, so the, so the transition going from playing in North America to, uh, to, to Europe was, was not an easy one. I, to, to be honest, growing up, it, I never even knew that there was hockey in Europe. It was just the NHL, like you said earlier. It was the NHL, and that was always just going to be it, you know, and I was so fortunate enough to get that opportunity. Uh, but it was, uh, it was the, the year of the lockout, the shortened season, 2012-13, um, and I think I was going to have an offer to go to camp with San Jose, um, but obviously there was no camp or not until December or January or whatever. Um, and at that point, my agent, um, Elaine Waugh, um, at that time of my career, I've gone through many different agents, but anyhow, he asked, you know, Hey, do you want to give Europe a crack? You know, I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's at least see what's there. And I got some different offers and, you know, I felt like coming from an NHL contract, I should have been able to get into a higher league than the second Italian league. You know, um, again, I didn't even know there was a first Italian league, but I, but I went and I'll never forget, you know, the feeling that my, my ex-wife and I had as we were connecting uh, in Frankfurt, Germany to, to fly to, I believe it was uh, Florence, Italy or Milan. Anyhow, that's irrelevant. We were looking up at the screens trying to see where our gate was and neither one of us were saying a damn word, man. It was just pure um, 100% culture shock. I've never been in Europe. I've never heard these languages before. Like what in the hell is going on? But we are here and we, we committed to this. So here we go. We're going to Italy, you know? And, uh, you know, so those, those first years in Italy was my first two years in Europe. It was a little bit more challenging because the language barrier was very real. Um, as we were just in small little villages up in the Alps, in the Italian Alps, um, small little town called Epon, uh, which is at the base and then uh, even smaller little village called Gardena, uh, where they actually hold the World Cup of skiing every December. Um, there, Lindsey Vaughn was there. It was pretty cool. Um, anyhow, awesome. Again, they they spoke a dialect of Latin, which is only spoken in three <laughs> villages in the world, and I'm in one of them. You know, so there was, you know, but it was a big tourist town, so there was more English, so it was easier that year. And then from there, I was, you know, fortunate enough to have a team from the top finish league come out and watch a game. And that night I had four points, two goals and two assists. And uh, that pretty much solidified the fact that I was going to go to this team in Finland the following season. Um, and I did. And Finland, man, um, 
without a doubt in my mind, is the number one country in the world. Um, after experiencing it the way I did for three years um, and having the success that I've had in that league and the support that I have around the country, my mental health story is in the biggest newspapers in Finland. Uh, they just they did like a direct translation, I believe, of the hockey news article um, on me in in uh, in Finland, and it was like the most read article of the day on that particular day. Um, nice. Yeah, so man, it was it was awesome. And in the Scandinavian countries, I I, I played in Norway, I played in Sweden. Um, they all speak English, and they have to learn it. It's a required for ten years, I believe, from the ages of seven until they're done with high school. Um, and so most people are fluent, and so it's extremely easy to be an English-speaking hockey player um, in these Scandinavian countries. But like I said, Finland is the one that I just resonate the most with. It's just uh, an incredibly beautiful country with the most amazingly beautiful people, um, you know, inside and out. Um, and they preserve their nature there. Uh, they take care of their people. Um, high taxes, yes, but it all goes back to the people. And there's just no struggle. Not too many people are struggling in that country. But um, so again, you know, I get sidetracked sometimes when I'm on these podcasts. But uh, you know, again, overall, the experience of playing in Europe, man, is is I am actually way more grateful for that. I'm way more grateful for my time in Finland than I was for my time playing here in North America and even signing the NHL contract. Um, because I would, I would, if I could, I would take my kids and we would move to Finland and I would live there for the rest of my life. It's how much I love that place. And I love the people there. And, um, so yeah, I think that that answers it, but overall incredible experiences over in Europe. Yeah. I mean, Finland, I, I never got to go to Finland, but I, I hear the same thing from so many guys, um, just how incredibly beautiful it is from all aspects and uh you know you've been fortunate to be able to follow your your dream and uh you know over to europe and make a living at it where are you at now with your hockey career i know you have um some kids and uh in the article it says that you've recently been divorced uh yeah. sorry about that but you know that could be a transition too and, and so you're living in cleveland now because that's where your kids are uh right. are you playing you know are you gonna play again or what's going on yeah, no. So, um, so no, I'm, I'm done. My, my, my playing days are done now. Um, because like, like you said, uh, I've got two kids here and three years ago, um, while I was still married and obviously still had my two kids, then, uh, my ex decided she didn't want to go anymore to, to Europe. She wanted to stay back and, and start her own job, own career. Um, so then I had to decide, okay, uh, can I do this alone? Um, and here I am, I am going, I'm going to do it. This is what I need to do. This is what I have to do. This is what I get to do. Actually, I get to do this. I get to continue playing my career and providing a good life for my family. Um, and yes, it's going to be tough. Um, but I've been through a lot tougher situations in my life, you know, um, or at least at that time I thought I had, um, and you know, just leaving that, that first day, man, it's, it's so interesting when you think about mental health and you think about mental injuries opposed to physical injuries. Um, I'm sitting in a lounge, the lobby area, waiting for my flight to take off. And I'm crying, man. I'm, I'm balling. I'm, I don't want to be away from my kids. I don't want to be away from my wife. I never, ever wanted that. Um, but I'm crying and nobody, the whole lobby, every seat is taken except for the two seats next to me because I'm crying, you know, but had I had a cast on or, you know, a broken ankle or crutches or whatever, people would have been, oh, are you okay? What happened? Blah, 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 blah. But because I'm crying, everybody stays away because they think I'm weird or crazy or too emotional or whatever the case is. Um, but anyhow, getting to Finland, it was it was extremely challenging, man. Being being away from my kids, 
Um, and honestly, as I left that season, I thought this might be the end of my, my marriage. Um, why I was thinking that, I don't know. But again, to go nine months away from, from her, uh, that, that will put a lot of strain on a relationship, of course, you know. And um, so it wasn't uh, but two months later into the season that she decided she didn't want to be with me any longer. And it took place during one of the national team breaks. There's a couple different team national team breaks in Europe where the leagues stop, they hit the pause button. There's like 12, 13, 14 days um, in between games. And then the players that play for their national teams go to tournaments. And the ones that don't are free to travel. You can go travel around Europe and it's very cheap to do so. But this experience for myself, this decision was made during one of those breaks that happened on a Saturday. And on Monday, I had to be at the rink again. Um, and I'm always one of the first guys to show. No, I'm always the first guy to show up. I'm the DJ. I'm the one dancing, singing. Uh, joke and laugh and having a good time trying to not trying creating that positive energy in the locker room that we need come the dark months of the season December January February you know um, but on this day Monday I was not in my stall doing all of those things because I was in the coach's office with my four coaches crying my my freaking eyeballs dry <laughs> so to speak sharing with them what exactly has happened um, and not knowing how to handle the situation, not knowing what to do, not knowing if I should fly home um, or if I should just stay because at Christmas time I was going to be going home anyhow. And this was in November. Um, and then, you know, we get into the locker room, man, and it's um, me in front of 30 men, uh, teammates, staff, coaching staff. And I'm now here I am again, two days later, crying in front of everyone, everybody on my team. And I'll never forget that moment because after I got done sharing and I didn't share all the details with my teammates. I didn't find that to be necessary. Just let them know that I'm dealing with something very personal. Um, and obviously I'm crying so you can understand how deep it was at the time, you know? Um, but man, I'll never forget it. After I had 16, 17, 18 of them come up to me, put their, their hand on my shoulder or give me a hug and say, Hey Jake, uh, we don't know exactly what you're going through, but we're here for you and we love you, man. And I think that was such a massive transition point for me in terms of, overcoming that, working through it, managing it, because now I had a group of my teammates, my brothers um, that supported me, that knew I was going through something and they were going to be there for me every single day. And then I also had hockey um, as an outlet as well, you know, and it was two days later, I was playing in my first game. So five days after, um, you know, and, and the thing that was so difficult for me, it was such a big purpose of me doing what I was doing was completely altered with that one decision, you know, um, and, uh, so yeah, so a few days later, I'm playing in the game, not sure how in the hell I'm doing this, but I did it and I played extremely well. And then man, after that, my point production went through the fricking roof and I wind up being selected for team USA for the Olympics. I just got selected too late where I wouldn't have had enough sufficient time to go through the testing protocol, uh, to be, you know, cleared to, to, to perform in the, the Olympics. Um, and so again, you know, for wow. anybody listening, you know, sharing the power of sharing the power of getting that weight off of your mind screw your shoulders get it off of your mind uh, man it's going to just do incredible incredible things for you so you know that's um you know and so so again i'll continue going here because now i here i am three years later and my playing days are done and it just got to the point where i didn't want to be away, away from my kids anymore um some unfortunate things take place um while i'm away in terms of facetime and you know, interactions with people that, you know, shouldn't have a say in things, um, but do. 
And it just got to a point where I was just like, what am I doing this for, man? And so last season I'm playing in Norway and on several different occasions, I'm in the parking lot crying. It's like, what in the fuck am I doing? I'm not making a million dollars. I'm not making $10 million. And even if I were, my kids are worth way more than that. There is no price on my kids and the relationship that I've been able to cultivate with them, a very deep connection that when I get home from these seasons, it's like I was never gone. Um, and, and, and so many times I was like, man, what, what am I going to the rink for? Like, why, why am I doing this? What would I tell my son? Um, if he was in the same exact situation, what would I tell him, uh, to do continue staying here for the money or go home and create an incredible relationship with your kids. Um, and I found myself telling him to go home, go be with your kids. That is way more important than the, you know, fricking $50,000 you're making $60,000 you're making, you know, um, and so that's, you know, here I am now uh, after 10 years of, of playing this incredible game uh, that I will stay in. I will stay involved with. Um, but now it's done. It's time for me to be a dad again. And I've got many things going on in my personal life in terms of, you know, uh, mental health and, and still teaching uh, the game of hockey and, and trying to be a mental training consultant for, for players around the world. I'm working with a good friend of mine up in Saskatoon. Um, shout out to Matt uh, Court, Courthouse, courthouse. Um, and, uh, and anyhow, yeah, we're doing some great things, man, trying to, you know, prepare these kids, um, you know, for games, for big games, mental training stuff, playing with more confidence, how to overcome pregame nerves. And it's just been incredible to work with kids again around the world, Russia, Switzerland, Austria, Germany. Uh, it's been an incredible journey, man. So yeah, that's that. That's that. That's, that's awesome. So I'm actually too looking at taking a life, uh, like a life coach, um, course. Like I want to learn how to empower people in the same way. And I, I'd really like to take a sports psychology course, but uh, too much schooling, too much schooling for me. And right. I have so much, I have a lot of life experience that school, the, no school could ever teach anybody. And I think that that, you know, and everybody can say the same because everybody has a lot of life experiences of their own. And we learn to you if we can all learn how to use our experiences in the best possible way to help people. Isn't that the most beautiful thing of it all? Well, absolutely, man. And I, but I think in order for us to use our life experiences, we have to have healing in there because I think if, if not, yes. then, then we're not as relatable. We're not as willing to be vulnerable with the people that we're speaking to because I work as a, as a mental health coach as well. And I don't have credentials. I just have my life experiences and I have the healing that I've gone through. And I'm, and I'm working with a guy that was a secret service agent, you know, and I'm just like, when he first reached out to me, sharing the things that he did with me in terms of the things that he has seen, I'm just like, how in the hell am I going to help? You know, how, you know, but here I am, you know, a year later and we don't talk every week or every month we talk when he feels he needs a talk, you know, and this man is doing incredible. And I have been able to help him to guide him, to give him tools that I've used in my own life um, and other tools that I feel like might be able to help him. And man, just to hear this man speak um, and for him to tell me what his wife says to him in terms of how he's showing up in their relationship and how he's showing up in life after our talks. And it's just, man, that's the juice. That is the passion. That is the fire that I no doubt. like, that's what I want in my life from here on out. I just want to be of service to people and just give people right. tools that we weren't taught growing up. Um, is we that, weren't taught that's this just stuff. it. That's just it. And there's so much, um, 
like this again, uh, you're going to, I feel strongly that you'll be a big part of the puck support foundation and the puck mm. support foundation could be a big part of whatever you're doing. Because again, right. this is not about, you know, this is one thing and this is another and it's a competition. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Whatever anybody is doing, if it's positive and it's empowering and it's beneficial, then let's all work together. Yes. Uh, I don't care if one, one nonprofit raises more money than us and helps more than us or whatever. I don't give a shit. As long as we're all helping, that's all that matters. It's right. not a competition. It is not about who has a bigger social media following, who has more listeners on a podcast, who has more of this, who has more of that. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Let's just help as many people and as power as many people as we possibly can. And that yes. is the message that I hear from you. And that is the message that we are trying to continually um, get across. And um, about that is learning the best possible way to convey that message and then also learning the best possible way to help people, whether it's directing them to the right people or the right facility or whatever the case is. And that's going to be a continual process. We will continue learning. Uh, I will personally, the foundation will grow. Uh, our network will grow. Everybody's just continue learning and continue to be empowered. And I think that is the message that you are trying to, um, you know, share, uh, before I let you go, um, you know, talk, you know, we've got as long as we want really, but it's, yeah. you know, we've been talking for an hour. I just, I'd like to hear and you share just a little bit with our listeners about your podcast, um, Rav, um, just a little bit about what that is, where we can find it, yeah. um, and what you're trying to do with that. Yeah, man. So, so it's RAV or Rav, whichever you prefer. And it's, uh, you know, stands for raw, authentic, and vulnerable. And it's under the sports epreneur platform. Uh, two fine, fine gentlemen. Actually, they sent me text messages during uh, this podcast. I'm sure to let me know that the next episode is live, which I'm very excited about. Um, it's it's a, uh, with a very good friend of mine. Shout out to my man, Greg Malden, um, a man of color, has played 17 years and is still continuing on, is about to be 38 years old, has dealt with a lot of very intense racial discrimination in his time in Europe playing and then as a little child growing up. And he speaks a lot about the tools that his father provided with for him so that he can overcome these things in a healthy manner. Um, but outside of that, again, the podcast raw, authentic and vulnerable. And if you're on any platform, uh, podcast platform, you type in sports, epreneur, one word podcast, and it will be the series of RAV. And it's these two guys that again, I, I went on their podcast about a year, year and a half ago, and we just always stayed in touch. And I shared you know, my mental health story and what I thought about mental health and sports and how we can start normalizing um, the conversation and what I feel every single team should be doing in preseason um, and every single company in the world should be doing on New Year's Day. Um, and uh, so anyhow, they, they laid this out for me, man. They reached out to me back in February saying, hey, we thought it'd be great for you to, you know, start your own podcast. You can use our platform. We'll do all the content creation, editing whatsoever. Um, and you, you just sent us the episodes and let's get this going. And so, man, I just went on a tear, just, just trying to, you know, record as many episodes as possible, but it was never my vision to have any big names come on. It was my vision to have everyday people come on and allow this to be their platform to share their story and they can remain anonymous if they would like, but there are so many people out there that don't have a voice and they don't have anybody to speak to. 
but I am here and I will always be here for anybody that ever reaches out to me because many people do on Instagram just sharing with me and I don't even know these people and they're telling me about the abuse that they've gone through, the rape, uh, things like this. And I'm just like, yes, not yes that you went through that, but yes, that this is taking place. My vulnerability is allowing other people to be vulnerable with me. And just a short little exchange of messages can be, again, what this person needs to not slit their wrist, to not pull the trigger on themselves or to pull the trigger on the other person or to sexually abuse somebody. That that could be their juice. And again, that can send them on a different path to freedom, to internal freedom opposed to freaking internal chaos and putting our pain on other people. Or uh, yes. all too often ending our own lives. And what a tragedy that is because there's so much freaking beautiful experiences to be had in this world. But we can't until we start doing that inner work. And, what, and again, like you said earlier, man, everybody's healing journey is going to be different. I, I, spoke, I speak very highly of talk therapy, but it, that wasn't just going to be it for me. It was going to be more than that. But that could be just it for so many people out there. But I think, unfortunately, in um, America, at least, these therapists themselves have not gone down their own path of healing. And so there is a disconnect yes. between client uh, and, and therapist because all they're talking about is coming from a textbook. There's no I agree 100%. Oh, my God. Do I agree with you 100%? I talk about this all the time with everybody. Yeah. Like, if I go to a rehab or a treatment facility and all of a sudden the counselor has no personal experience with addiction or whatever, and it's coming from a textbook, I might as well not even talk to them. And that's yeah. not to say they don't want to help or whatever, but I'm sorry. Like, am I going to go learn hockey from a guy that's never played before mm-hmm. or, or whatever? Like, and don't get me wrong. Some coaches never played. They, they, that, and that, but that's very few and far between. And, right. and the thing is like those guys had to have a, have a chance at least, or have somebody believe in them to even get their players to listen to them. And the players didn't have a choice, but to listen to the coach. So the, of course the coaches are going to have some sort of success because the players are feeling like they have to listen to them or they're not going to be on the team. I mean, like, Let's be honest, though, like you're going to a treatment center, you're paying for treatment or whatever counseling, like, do you not want somebody that has actual life experience? Oh, absolutely, man. And, and I and I think back, to I know my, I do. Like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think back to my therapist, and I freaking love that lady, I wouldn't be where I'm at without her. But I do think about the very first time we ever spoke. And it was an interview process, more or less. And for anybody listening, understand that you can turn that interview around. Start asking them the questions that they are asking you. Where are you at in your life? What has your journey of, of life looked like? Where are you at in terms of healing? Because if not, if they haven't done any of that, not, it's not that they can't help you. It's just you're, we, we pick up on energy. We pick up on body language. And when your therapist is telling you, I'm just trying to stay sane, what in the hell does that mean for, for them and where they're at? And how are they going <laughs> to help you then? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They're just trying to put food on the table maybe, but this is the thing. Um, That's not what this is about. That's not what my podcast is about. This is not what your podcast is about. It's not about money. The Puck Support Foundation is not about money. It's about helping people. And I love the fact that you're giving people um, this important voice. And that's sort of where uh, Mike Hangen, the chief executive director and my best friend um, of the Puck Support foundation talk about is and i've talked about with you off the off air uh is creating another podcast 
uh, that does allow this because, you know, I've had big names on my podcast and that's given me, you know, some credibility and given me some right. listeners and it's been great and, and I love it. And that's one aspect of it, but I see a whole nother side of, of podcasting much like yours where, you know, whether it's a puck support group podcast that one week it's me and you with somebody or just you with somebody or Mike with somebody and the host could always be changing or whatever. Right. Um, but again, allowing people the platform for their voice, whether and to stay, I like that you allow them to stay anonymous. That's that's because for some people that's huge. Um, right. And you know, sometimes people need to hear real life stories. And I've said this before, like so, like you know, I've had Doug Gilmore on the podcast. Like Doug Gilmore, incredible hockey hall of famer, Stanley Cup champion. He lived the the picturesque life. Um, don't get me wrong. Of course, he went through adversity. He was small. He was always told he couldn't. But he literally went with it and he worked his ass off. And, and he is such a class act human being that he is really the, the picturesque life um, that is very, un, it's almost unattainable. Like, yeah. it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it is almost unattainable. So as great as it was to have him on the podcast and I now consider him a friend and, and it's just incredible. It was such a great experience. Like I cried after I talked to him, but at the same wow. time, when I talked to Darren McCarty, like he has more of a life experience like I have. And yeah. so, and again, on four times Stanley cup champ and I loved Darren McCarty. I looked up oh, to yeah. him as a, he was one of my favorite players. So again, that too was great for me, but Again, I want, you know, I had Spencer Meyer on who, who struggled to find his way in the WHL, even though he was drafted and was one of the best prospects coming out of BC. And like that, these are the episodes. Those are the stories that people really, uh, I think will resonate with and, and, you know, uh, learn something from. So, um, I don't know, man, I just, I, I really encourage people to tune into your podcast and I'll, I'll share a link for sure. No question about it. Uh, and I'm going to start listening because I love listening to podcasts. That's really why I started my own podcast because I like Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, yeah. and I haven't been listening. I haven't been listening enough to other podcasts, and I think I should because it's good just to to hear how other people are doing things. And I have a lot to learn. I'm so new at this, and you know, I'm just trying to can always learn how to convey the best possible message and just to to reach as many people as possible. And I really appreciate for one um, you. Uh, being brave and sharing your story to the world and also um, having the, the platform that you do have uh, with Rav and giving the people their voice. Um, and two, just, you know, coming on Hockey Air on the Road to Recovery again and being fearless with your story and, and brave and, you know, and, and being available to people, Jake, is so important and you're being that guy and you're going to really help people. And I just see our relationship growing as friends and, 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 and helping each other, helping people. And I just can't say enough, buddy, that, you know, you have our support, my support with whatever you're doing. Uh, stay in contact for sure. Um, and just keep doing what you're doing because you are going to change the world and you're inspiring me and so many people. So thank you so much, Jake, and uh, look forward to doing this again. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for this opportunity, brother. And like you said, I, I believe this is the uh, the beginning of a brotherhood here, man. And I love you just like I love myself. And I, I, I'm so grateful for this and uh, to see where this is going to go and, you know, how many people in the world we're going to help because, man, we are doing a lot more than I believe we can uh, perceive in this moment.
that is episode 27 of Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery. I want to say thanks to Jake Newton, one, for being such a brave, brave soldier and coming forward with what happened to him as a kid because I know personally how hard that is um, and dealing with it is not easy and that's something that uh, both him and I and along with millions of people will have to deal with for the rest of our lives and you know as I continue on my journey I just can you know continue to look for the best possible treatment methods for myself and other people and certainly I have a long long ways to go and if there's one person that will tell you this it's my girlfriend Taylor and she's the one that has to deal with me on a daily basis with my um, you know snappy uh, sometimes overly aggressive um, not physically ever because I've never ever hit a woman in my life Um, but just my tone can be aggressive and I can be snappy and um, I lash out without even thinking and a lot of times I say things that I don't mean um, and that's something that I'm conscious of but I, I know I need to work on and talking about it is great, acknowledging it is great but putting some sort of practice and taking some sort of action is what I need to do personally and um, you know again being conscious of it is, is the first step but um, you know, just learning new methods to dealing with things and, and trying to implement them in my life is something that I'm focusing on. And I really encourage anybody listening to do the same. And um, You know, I'm really big on right now empowering people. And uh, sometimes uh, I get kind of lost in the social media world as much as I love it. And I love the support. Um, I've kind of neglected some of my responsibilities in my relationships. So, uh, again, guys, it's finding balance, and I'm quite confident that I will do that. And at the end of the day, I'm not using drugs anymore, and that is, to me, a victory every single second of the day because I'm not joking. I'm not lying when I say that there was a long period of time in my life, you know, like when I wasn't in jail and I was in active addiction, that if I had the drugs, um, I was using them every 10 to 15 minutes. And that's not an exaggeration anyone that saw me in my addiction can tell you that it's true and uh, it was not a pretty sight it was like I was on a path of destruction trying to kill myself because I was so miserable and I didn't know how to deal with all these things that had happened to me and all these poor choices that I continued to make and I just wanted to get out of it and I didn't know how and I really felt that there was no answer so I had turned my life to the life of drugs and crime and violence and all the bullshit that comes with that and I sunk my life into that for a while and uh, it only landed me back in jail and uh, I just really wanted to make a change and I seriously had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know how I would ever make my way back into any sort of um, coaching role or you know, be respected in the hockey community in any sort of fashion and I have a long ways to go. Um, I've only been doing this podcast for under three months and it's been incredible and I just... Uh, love every minute of it Uh, however I know it's a long road ahead of me and um, the best part is is that I'm confident that uh, I can be successful because I'm doing the things that I need to do like I said I need to do more but um, and I have a support network starting with my girlfriend and her family here and then you know reconnect with my family and my dad and um, it's been incredible and then you know right down from my new friendships with Matt Thompson and being able to reconnect with my best friend Mike Hangan who 
Um, I talk to probably 30 times a day, no joke, and um, some of the new friendships I've made. And being able to reconnect with Spencer Meyer is incredible. And actually, guys, I want to share a quick story before I go. And um, Spencer called me after uh, the day after we did our podcast. If you listened to episode 26 with Spencer Meyer, it's a powerful one. I suggest you go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it. Um, it's just incredible. Um, thanks again to Spencer for being so brave. Um, Spencer's been very open with me and uh, very brave and uh, he's you know addressing things in his own way and in his own time but he called me and said that his best friend was struggling and uh, a friend of his that played in the Western League too and he said he was doing uh, very hard drugs fentanyl crack cocaine and um, just said he was lost and that he was trying to get him out to this treatment center that Spencer was building out in Edmonton and this guy's from the lower mainland or BC somewhere and we'll say and um, I said, oh, yeah, who is it? And he gave me the name, and the guy kind of had a different name under social media. So I was like, it's kind of familiar, but, you know, and I looked up, and I couldn't find him on Elite Prospects or Hockey DB, which we do as hockey players, right? And, uh, but I came across a name that kind of looked like a name, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that kid. I used to coach him at Puckmasters. And anyways, fast forward to this morning. Uh, or later on that night I made contact with the kid and talked to him on Instagram and I asked if he would talk to me on the phone he said he would reach out to me tomorrow so then this morning I gave him a call he didn't answer I left him a voicemail well um, a few hours later this evening I get a phone call from his mom and his mom is just in tears and I've never met his mom I don't think at this point um, obviously I found out later that I coached my puck masters um, and that I had met her um, though we both don't remember it I do remember coaching him I don't uh, specifically remember meeting his mom um, although she called me in tears and said she doesn't know what to do and she's trying to get him out to Edmonton but doesn't have the proper identification it's gonna take weeks and sometimes you know we don't have weeks when we're dealing with situations like this and I know she doesn't have a lot of money um, she's trying to get the money together to pay for a plane ticket and do all this and um, she just doesn't know where to turn and she's like you know I want to call somebody that we have no help and that's why we're starting the Puck Support Foundation just so happens that this is all happening at this time, guys. And there's so many amazing things happening. But listen, there's people that need help everywhere. But right now, my efforts and our team efforts are focused on the hockey community. And there's a lot of people in the hockey community that need help. And we need to start raising money now for puck support. Uh, we will be going through all the process to do this the right way. But we found out that we can start raising money now. Uh, we cannot legally provide uh, charity receipts, tax write-off receipts, yet that may take some time. We may not even become a registered charity. We may be just a non-profit, which is another entity of a, you know, sort of like a charity, but it just allows us to do certain things and then we're not allowed to do certain things. So there's sort of pros and cons of, of being a charity and being a non-profit. They're two separate things for people that don't know. And uh, we're kind of deciding what we want to do guys but in the meantime there's a lot of things we can do and we can operate um, under and piggyback off other charities and we can get money and um, have money donated to our group and our foundation that we're starting and we can start allocating those funds to the the right places and uh, we will have all that in, in place going to the right bank accounts and with our financial manager and all of that so guys if you want to get involved send us an email team at pucksupport.com that's t-e-a-m at pucksupport.com thank you again so much for listening guys remember to go to hockey to sign up for the giveaways every sunday night on the hockey to heroin 
and Facebook page. Uh, I'm going to be switching over to Instagram, guys. So head over to Instagram, follow me at Hockey to Heroin, also on Twitter at Hockey to Heroin. Um, check out teamissue.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchase. Guys, life is good. Um, you know, when we continue to make the right choices and it's not always going to be sunny days and things will be hard. Um, but listen, there's people that out there that want to make a difference like myself, along with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of millions of people trying to make difference every single day. Um, but we need more members on our team um, to help with what we're trying to do. So, you know, if you want to get involved, reach out. We'd love to have you. Um, Anyways, guys, that's it for me. Uh, thanks again to Jake Newton. Um, to anybody struggling out there, please, please reach out to somebody, um, if not to me. Um, I try to make myself available when I can, guys. Um, you know, so if you know you're struggling and you feel like you would talk to me, reach out to me on social media. If I have time, I will always make time for everybody that I can. Uh, I don't make promises for everything, but I definitely do my very best. Um, and if it's not me, guys, please, please reach out to somebody else. I know things get difficult. Um, I know it can be hard to share and be open. Uh, but listen, talk about it. Get it out there. Um, and you know, find the right support network for you, right? And it might take some time, but hang in there, guys. There is help. And remember, have a great day if you so choose.